He was the ex-husband of B. Arthur. Yeah, well, I recognize his mustache from uh, the 70s porno movie uh, Tight Jeans. <laughs> My God, look. So, 81, so he's been doing different strokes, the TV show where he's, where, which launched him. Yeah. Two years. Right. So, at the height, he got the movie. He, well, he didn't, he made this happen, or his agent, or whatever. They They formed a company, and they said, look, we got to capitalize on this now, get you in a movie. And that's why this is his yeah. first movie ever. And it, he didn't get, like, go audition for a role. They said, let's write a star vehicle. Gotcha. He said, as long as the vehicle are trains, because as Mike Spiegelman says, I'm obsessed by trains. Now here. Oh, there's a comic book. Roth Hyman. Hyman Roth. Hyman Roth. That's Hyman Roth? <laughs> no, but it sure looks like him, right? <laughs> it sure looks like him. <laughs> now I got to go to Israel. But what do they know? Michael, this deal is bigger than U.S. steel. We watched uh, The Godfather. We never watched Godfather 2 together, but I told you my father hated Hyman Roth from Godfather 2. He said it was the worst Jewish character he's ever seen. Yeah, yeah. They make, In The Godfather, it made the Jews look bad. They're like, thank God we weren't Italian. <laughs> I don't think it made the Jews look bad. Hyman Roth was extremely powerful. Yeah, but he's the kind of guy that like gives Jews a bad name, or that people think Jews. Uh... Oh, he's got a pot belly there. I was hoping I could see him shirtless. I've never seen Gary Coleman at that age shirtless. Thank you, movie. This is Bill Russell, who was a very famous basketball star, and he led the Boston Celtics to nine straight NBA titles. They won eleven in total. So he is a big deal. Wow. He's tall. He's like three or four Gary Coleman's. <laughs> also, he was like notoriously a jerk, and people in Boston didn't like him, even though he wins for them, you know? He refuses to have autographs. Right. He also he also appears in a movie where it takes place in Chicago. Was that like a fuck you, or is he from yeah, Chicago? He, he... <laughs> this was originally going to be in New York when they first wrote it. Uh, as a matter of fact, it had another title called New York Loves Lester. Um, New York Loves Lester? Let me try. Uh, excuse me, two tickets, please, for New York Loves I can't do it. Love, love, Lester. I not Gary Coleman said, come on, guys, New York, I'm from Chicago. Is he really from Chicago? Yes, and, well, this, a suburb of. And when he first started acting and going for roles, he would go into uh, Union Station through Chicago with his parents. This is how he started out. So this is sort of near and dear to him. Now, he's only 12 years old right here. Wow. Now, this guy's saying, he's you know, he's a doctor. And it's like, what, kind, what are you doing lately? He goes, and he says, artificial insemination. Do you know what that is? And he goes, yeah, it's sex without the fun. Okay, look, here's <laughs> real shoeshine guys, right? And now right. Bunker here sees like a scab. Oh, my God. Yeah, this is big news. I read about that in the Chicago Tribune front page. Now it's basically. Uh, everyone's on the phone. Just going. Fuck Ah. 
Up. Don't do that, mister. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so now we're going to learn that Lester has this special ability. For some reason, and it's inexplicable in the movie, we never learn why, he can pick winner right. for the horse races. Dancing Doll, Fish Dream, and Latest Song. That's the trifecta today. Yeah, I was about to say you should wear a mask when that guy sneezes, but, yeah. you know, that's just me now. Now, this is pre-COVID. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So he was ahead of his time wearing a gorilla mask. Okay, here's Maureen Stanton. Oh. And she's a homeless person? Yes. Uh, Mike, that's not the really right way to say it. If it's okay with you, we prefer person of homelessness. Uh, actually, the unhoused. The unhoused. The unhoused. I was. I guess she's a hobo, right? She's a rummy. Mike. Back Mike. Then? Oh my goodness. <laughs> she is a person of hobo nequitous. Do you? I get. Uh, Gary Coleman and Dabney Coleman mixed up, and I get Gene Stapleton and Maureen Stapleton mixed up. So, yeah. oh, here's the arcade. All right, just drop me off here, Carl. I'm going to hang out here for the rest yeah. of the movie. Yeah, well, you know, so am I because I'm such a lech. And here she is, our love interest. Oh, really? Wow, way to go, 12-year-old. Yeah. No, 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 not the 12-year-old. <laughs> you might recognize her from Beverly Hills Cop. She was like the childhood friend of... Eddie Murphy, and they tried um, to solve the mystery. Right, the one who gets killed. Yeah, yeah, yeah. She's only in like 15 minutes in that movie. She's good in that movie, too. Like, she's she's actually kind of starts the film, you know? Yeah. It's amazing. You watch these celebrities in their movies, and, you know, their films are grounded. Beverly Hills Cop is grounded. She grounds the film. Die Hard, John McClane has a boo-boo, and it hurts. Yeah, And then, you know, sequels come, and we just forget about it. You know, let him do whatever. Yep. It doesn't matter anymore. Jump off World Trade Center, and he rolls to the bottom. Oh, ouch, that's smart. Oh, jeez. Oh, um, yeah, I know. Oh, man. Is, um, I'm sorry to interrupt you. This is, um, she was born in Saudi Arabia. I think that was really quite weird. Yeah. Well, I also think it's weird that she's just, she happens to be the one working at the arcade. Well, she's a spider, right? And she even has right. an audition tonight. So we best of luck, lady. Now, when she was a young uh, girl, she was in like My Three Sons and Gunsmoke. But when she grew up, she was like a lot of TV, The Amazing Spider-Man. But we know her from Officer and a Gentleman and Beverly Hills Cop. Right. Well, I, I have to say, I mean, she's great in Beverly Hills Cop. Her name's Jill And in this movie, she's Lisa. And she's the sweetest, sweetest thing. Yeah. Right. I'm surprised there's not more kids in this arcade. Well, we're going to meet a toughy, tough kid. Actually, we already met him, who later robs him. Oh, no. Uh what Jill is doing is like nicey nice stuff, like, t you know, getting them away from, t you know, the it's like test your knowledge game. Why do I gotta play this learning thing? What well, test? It was like a love meter game. 
Okay, so Archie wow, that's a tries to get help from the cop. And the cop's like, call the, call the so-and-so department. I like how uh, the arcade machines don't look real at all. No. God, this, this, this station has it all. It's got hamburgers, pizza, video games. Oh, it's Union dogs. It's like our Penn Station. I say our like you're still here. Well, you know, I remember Port Authority had a bowling alley, right? And an off-track betting uh, office in there. There was OTB and there was a bowling alley and there was everything in there. Something to eat, newsstands. You could even get a bus. Yeah. Right, yeah. Last bus at 12.30, get back to New Jersey. Yeah. I know that uh, Grand Station had a record store in there. I, I, I shoplifted from that record store. Really? How'd you do it? Tell me about it. I never heard the story. Well, it was winter. I was with Tom Crawl and John Skullnick. Uh, I had a big wintry overcoat. And so we were in there looking through the records. And so I took, just by impulse, by whim, that's the only way I could do it. It wasn't a heist. I took uh, Ghost in the Machine by the police, and I, I put it between my belly and the bin. Right. And I kept looking at records and then I just inched it down until I could slip it up my stomach side of my jacket. Then I put my hands in my pocket and gripped right to hold the record left and right. And then I said very loudly to Tom and John, I got to go pee. I'll be right back. And then I walked out. (laughs) Wow. Whoa. So Man, they you were just hustling. Me, and it took them forever to come out of the record store. And they were like, dude, we thought you said you're gonna come back. Okay, now I never said that. He's fantasize Jill is like, someday you'll get married, so he's fantasizing it. Ooh. Do it. Yeah. They can have artificial insemination? Yeah. Gross. Wait, what? Do not disturb for two twelve-year-olds. It's um. They look eight. It, it's just a joke, Mike. It wasn't child pornography. And by artificial, they they are talking about the fish. The the wait, artificial, artificial. There's a pun there, and I haven't found it yet. Okay, there was this assassin. His name was Artie, right? Artificial, yeah. and uh, he'll do any job for any price. You must have seen that headline, Artie Chokes 3 at the AMP for a dollar. Yeah, it might have choked Artie, but it ain't going to choke Stymie. Choke Stymie? Oh, with that Rascals, you never saw that episode? No, I probably, you know, I probably did. Probably did. Well, Stymie finds an artichoke and he, like, peels back each one of those little leaves, leaves until he gets to the middle and there's nothing in there and he's all upset and he goes it might have choked Artie not gonna choke Stymie (laughs) I didn't write it nice so right now it's like what love and we're learning that like not only is he a sharp kid who's quick-witted but he's sensitive see the outside world beat him down he's an orphan and he will not leave Union Station he won't go onto the street. He's deathly afraid of it. 
Oh, really? He did, he's been in the station? Yep, he lives wow, in he's... the lockers. He does his shoe shining. Right. He's deathly afraid of leaving, huh. and he's working on his own business. Wow. This guy's got it all. That's right. So, like, really, he's got nothing, but he does have it all. So when he finally has something, that's when his world starts to crumble. So I'm looking at the movies that are hosted by uh, 80s, 90s movies. Yeah. And we've done about a dozen of these. There's Hamburger, the Motion Picture. Right. Uh, then there's also, I just saw it. Uh, on the right track, which you're watching, National Men, Men in White. That's great. Men in White. Joysticks. That was great, Joysticks. Oh, hey, you know what? They have. I I, I see a movie. We're going to do it next week. I'm sorry, but okay. uh, I, I we have to do uh, Mac and Me, which uh, it's, it's been talked a lot about. Oh, my science project, The Joy of that? Sex, with National Lampoon's Joy of Sex. Uh, and then uh, Loose Screws, Screwball 2, which uh, you weren't around for. I, I did that with... Uh, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. Now we've got the love interest meeting the love interest, okay? Now this guy, he uh, is like a sort of cop. He's in charge of child services, and he's been called down by Archie Bunker because there's this, you know, orphan. So they're trying to find... Cigar. What about that? He's one of those guys that walks around with an unlit cigar in his mouth. Yeah. Well, he's a movie stereotype. And now yeah. they're meeting. You never I people. understand you know a kid named Lester. Yeah. And what do you think she says? Uh, I don't know Lester. He looks. He definitely looks like he's from Chicago, right? He's got the the fur hair and the fur beard and the yeah. loose tie. And he looks like he's from the 70s. Breathes, yeah. He breathes through his mouth. Yeah. Now, this guy was born in Brooklyn. His name's Michael Lemback. Today, he's a director. But you might recognize him from one day at a time. Mackenzie Phillips' husband. Yeah. All right. Also, on Mary Hartman, he was the newscaster. I never had a chance to watch Mary Hartman or Fernwood Tonight. No, I watched Mary Hartman was on syndication during the 80s briefly. But other than that, I just those are lost shows to me. I would love to see them. It wasn't great, Mary, Mary Hartman, Mary Hartman. It was like soap opera-y. And... <clears throat> but what was the deal? It was an actual soap opera? It, it, it appeared five days Five nights a week? No, no. I no, it was once a week. In the sense that Dallas right. is a soap opera. It was that kind of soap right, opera. Right, right, like yeah. Now the cool you watch credit Crawford? this guy's got is the Croft Super Show. He was Captain oh, Cool yeah. of the band Captain Cool and the Kongs. <laughs> I wonder if he had his beard for Captain Cool. Well it he, I remember his beard from one day at a time. Um, yeah, absolutely. You're talking about the original series, not the most recent one. Okay, so they found Lester. There he is, and they're doing the chase. Here they are on the subway train. Oh, no. 
Oh, and there's Maureen. Yep. Say hello to my sister, Jean. Is that Uh-oh. right? No, I don't know. Okay, because I'm not that in the research. Oh, uh, you caught him. Yeah, put the cuffs on me. Haul me away, you crook. If I may say what I said to Bruce Willis when he said something confusion, what are you talking about, Bruce? Don't bring me down, Bruce. Yeah, what was up with that? Who the fuck is Bruce? I never got that. Bruce was a, is like a, a stereotypical gay name in the late 70s, and that's what ELO was singing right. about. Don't bring me down, Bruce. Don't bring me down 70s homosexual. Oh, I, thank you. Uh, Jeff Lynn, way to go. Right. Never knew. Out on the dance floor having a good time at a club, like a Studio 54, and Bruce is like being a shit. He's being a downer. Come on, Bruce. Gotcha. Great song. Nah. You sure wasn't? <laughs> now, oh my God. They, I'm not going cornered. out there. Oh, he's not going outside. So how's he going to bet on horses in the third act? Now, he gets Uh, to the street, and they go like, see, it's fine up here. And then there's a shootout. Oh, my God. They can't even, Chicago's that bad that even in a Gary Coleman movie, there's a shootout? (laughs) 20 minutes of the film. And this isn't exactly the south side. It's Union Station. Union Station. Now, back oh, he's stuck 70s. outside. I know this is 1980, but the 70s was two seconds ago. They would have these wide-ass cars. You really could comfortably see three in the front. Well, if one was Gary Coleman. No. <laughs> like you're riding on a couch, you know? It wasn't Bucket. Oh, the foster home. Yeah, yeah it's the 14th Street uh, shelter. And he's saying, you're going to love it here. And then we see this scary, scary guard. Here she comes. All right. Now watch. He'll look at the camera. You hate that. He's going to look straight into the camera like I told you so. Yeah, you know what? It's his movie. He can look in the camera if he wants. Okay, here it comes. And we see her face. And he goes, uh-oh. Wah, 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 wah. <laughs> he's looking at the couple. Okay, so now um, Mackenzie Phillips' husband will totally be asking her out on a date. Right. And she's like, I don't go with people who lock up little children. Uh, Hey, you want to go out and play pinball? I work at an arcade. Oh, fuck. Well, he's (laughs) ice capades. Yeah, yeah. I do like when uh, when movies come out in the beginning of a decade and they look like the previous decade. You know, they can't help it. Yeah, they can't. It was two seconds ago. Two seconds ago. This is um, friendlies. They're out to lunch, and and that's all it's going to be for Jill. But for 
my, his name's Frank in the film, but for this Michael, right, I just want you to know he became a director and he directed the Santa Claus 2 and the Santa Claus 3. Oh, the Tim Allen Santa Claus? Yup. I checked wow. it. He is now a full-time TV director. He directed 20 episodes of Friends. Oh, cha-ching. Way to go, sir. One that he won an Emmy for. So he left acting, and he's a director now. Yeah, no, that's uh, those are good credentials. Oh, what's up with that caricaturist and the, the friendlies drawing a picture of him? Yeah, we never see a payoff to that. Weird. It's a weird touch. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> way to go. He's already tied up the fucking lidded. Yep. And he's if it was that easy, all the kids would have left. Tie the sheets together, move of, I don't know where he got rope. Well, what you do is you go to your bed and you take all the sheets and you tie them into oh, rope and then you tie it to the sure. bed okay. frame and then you open up the window. I've done this a hundred times. <laughs> <laughs> I've ripped him. He's like... Hey, fellow cop, I did a good job, and that kid is successfully at the foster home. No way he's going to escape. Oh, no, it's about the girl. I met the great, uh, greatest lady. Oops, I dropped Maurice. Reading a newspaper by a typewriter. God, I miss all that shit. Yeah, you know, I do miss a typewriter, although the computer's so much better. I do miss yeah. that. Oh, come on. Give me a break. I, you know, I, I had college for... You know, you you hit it like a piano. Pop, 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 pop. Yeah. And then you go, where was I? Where, I? I forgot what I was typing. Scroll, 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 scroll. Oh, yeah, that's right. It was a dark and stormy night. Screech, 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 screech. Get it back to the place and you center it. Is, the night was sultry. This is uh, her audition. And he's oh, surprised when he shows up. Record scratch. Right. It's a recording. You can't miss what you never had. <laughs> Let's hear it. Let's hear it. All right. It's a Step your charges now. I love that everyone's smoking in there, too. Yeah, and look at her 70s hair. Yeah, no, well, it's 70s lighting compliment it. And you got 70 dudes watching. Close your mouth, Michael. Yeah, Michael, you're attracting flies. Close your mouth. <laughs> the grease of your hair is going to go into your, save your teeth. Now, the director wasn't such a great director. His name's Lee Phillips. And I'm sure that Michael saw Lee Phillips directing and said, hell, I could do that. Yeah, right. I guess he did. He was. In I, I bet Lee Phillips, Michael's uh, in this movie, said, "I could act." 
I probably see better actor than he is. Well, he does okay. He's he's doing his job as an actor in this. Yeah. This is like well, one of the reasons why I really wanted to see this film and have this film on there is to make up for the fact that one of our movies that we had watched was Church Ball. Right. With Gary Coleman. Which was and that is a notorious part of Gary's life because that is his last movie and he met his wife. That his is final wife. wife he there. was an extra. And then when Gary got hurt, his wife was the one who called the police, and by the time the police arrived, Gary Coleman was found, was dead. Yes. It was a subtle so hematoma. And he was forty two years old. Forty two. I know that's crazy. Yeah. That's from nine years ago. Uh, I know. I don't do you have eight twenty ten. So yeah. Now, so like I said, he's the one that when I grew up, I would connect real life to because he was my age and I was like, What if I was a star like Gary Coleman? What would my life be? And right. that stayed with me for the rest of my life. I remember around the kitchen table at your house I'd visit and you'd be talking to your brother and you'd be like, What are you talking about, Adam? Yeah, yeah. And then Adam, who was totally into Emmanuel Lewis at the time, would say, Okay, this is the woman from the beginning who got out of the taxi and who discovered um, Lester in his locker. So now she's like, I'm telling you, there's a dead black kid in one of these lockers. Why? So what's up with the lockers? I'm going to take an Amtrak from Chicago to, I don't know, Tampa, right? And I, and but I better, I, I've overpacked. I'll just put this in the locker in the meanwhile. Yeah, in 1996, there was World Trade. Okay, who who was when was Oklahoma City? Okay, there was some terrorist act that involved a locker. It used to be that you could. Go put something here, get on your train, come back, and retrieve your baggage. Those days are long gone because of terrorism. Right. and But not in the world of movies. The world of movies always has lockers, right? I just watched Motherless Brooklyn, which I guess took place, uh, you know, decades ago. But, you know, there was they all this it. special stuff. Yeah. Well, usually, like, the movie is that the guy comes in, he puts something in the locker, and then it stays in there for months. And then, uh, you know, the hero finds it, the key or whatever, and opens it up. And it's like, oh, my God, it's a deed to a house. It's always- it was in this locker. All the money. Yeah. It's always like gold bars or like, you know, a million-dollar check. And it just happened to be lingering in a fucking locker in a transit station. Get sure. months. Yeah, right. Get sure. That was Los Angeles. Yep. So Los, even Los Angeles. Oh, that's a beautiful train station, though. I've been to that one. Men in Black 2. Yeah. Oh, I just saw a, a famous movie. God, oh, it's going to take me forever. It was a black and white film. But basically, the guy comes in, and he puts all the loot into a locker, and then just leaves it there till the end of the film. Okay, I got to interrupt for plot point. Yeah, all right. Okay, so Frank has discovered that... Gary Coleman can pick the horses. So he's... What? Wait, how does he know that? He found out because 
remember he predicted the horses in the beginning with that one guy who had the yeah cold. it was last song right well it hit and the Maud's husband no uh Beatrice Arthur's husband found out it got back to that guy he he was at the office talking about how much he likes Jill in which the other you know he saw who won on the guy's desk lost my shirt again what this is so weird so we just met three people who love the horse race in chicago yeah that is strange i've never met three people who did horse racing well yeah it's usually when and, people are writing scripts right you've been to a horse track right yeah in the meadowlands uh yes at the meadowlands and of course i bet the trifecta you never win so right. Jill has fallen into, you know, like the spider to the fly. Michael's like, come home. And Jill has fallen into it. Uh, he's talking about, we're going to help you, Lester. You don't have to go to the 14th Street station. I'll keep my mouth shut uh, that you're here. Look at the kiss. You see the kiss? Yeah, she's getting beard burn. But I, right. And she doesn't mind at all. And I think really she's just opening her mouth and rubbing her lips on his lips. <laughs> well, this might have been the 30th take. This is the part of the show where the kids go, where's Gary? Oh, where's Gary? <laughs> All right. Time to tilt that pinball machine. You know what I'm saying, Carl? Yeah. Ding, 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 ding. Careful, you're going Later. to. Okay, now we learn that Maureen Stapleton is actually a very good friend, you know, and she's got good advice. And here she's complaining. I went to the track and I bet the trifecta like you told me, and it hit. Now I have $54,000. You've ruined my life. Listen to the, vo the audio because Gary Coleman has some very funny lines in the end. Say, say, you ruined my life. <laughs> Isn't that cute? Don't that is funny. Yeah, you win. Right. Oh, that's so funny. Okay, now Michael is going to totally do some bullshit. He's going to be like, why doesn't Lester move in here with me? And Jill is like, that's great. You're great. And then it turns into that like, but it's going to cost a lot of money. Wish we could find a way. Hey, I hear he's good at the um, races. Right. So he's scamming his way into trying to get... Yeah. Now he's gonna say it right now. Yeah, so all you gotta do is get him to give me the trifecta tomorrow. She's like, wait a <laughs> fucking minute. Wait a minute. There's no gambling allowed. This these are for entertainment purposes only. Oh, I'm sorry, I thought it was at work. <laughs> so she ruins his uh -huh. noodles. That'll show him. Yeah. And I'm storming out of well, here. Did the writer of the movie say, throw it against the wall? It usually works for me. 
<laughs> See what sticks. Yeah. <laughs> there were four writers for this atrocity. God. Oh, but there is four writers for this Mike. Even though I say there's four writers, it's kind of like there was three. There's this guy named Lester Pine, and he started as a stand-up right. comics in the 40s, and then he became a writer. But he's married to a woman named Tina Pine. Now, I was looking up Lester Pine, and he did one episode of All in the Family, one episode of Columbo, one episode of Ben Casey, one episode of I Spy. You know, you get the picture. Then I look up Tina your Pine. Ben Casey. What? Yeah. Then well, I look here, up, I remember him. Then I look up Tina Pine. Okay. And, oh, yeah. God damn. We'll come back to it. <laughs> okay. No, no, you looked up Tina Pine. This is a standard theme in the film. He's chasing her, going, no, no, you don't understand. And he then wins her over. It's like, of course I love Lester. After, you've only known him one day. And he goes, well, I just met you and we're doing okay. I think we were drinking wine and kissing. Yeah. I liked it. So now she likes him again. That's all she needs. That's all she needs. Let's go eat some kitchen sink spaghetti. Yeah, he's like, you ruined my dinner. You know how much that <laughs> She's like, yeah, 49 cents a box. And he goes, no, but the tax, with the tax. He's like, but that's 1981, 49 cents. Okay, so here we are at like a beauty parlor spa thing. And... Look at the, you see the Lake Michigan in the background. Nice. And they're like, this woman four grand at the track and she's going to come in. We're going to make her beautiful. And then they see her and they go, maybe, maybe. <laughs> now he's going to pick the horses. Okay, so I look up Lester Pine's writing credits and it says, all in the family, Columbo, Ben Casey, I spy. Then I look up Tina Pine's writing, writing credits. And it says, all in the family, Columbo, Ben Casey, I spy. Oh, what a coincidence. That's when Lester played a barista in all those episodes. Here's your coffee, Ben Casey. <laughs> no, he was a writer. He was a writer. Oh, that's the writer's camera. Oh, so his wife. Yeah. Oh, uh, he was a writer, so his wife hooked him up. <laughs> okay, 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 okay. So if we rewind the tape, you said... Who wrote this, blah, blah, blah. And I said, it took four people to write this. And you said, really? And no, I, no, no, no. I'm rewinding the tape. I'm rewinding the tape. He was a stand-up comedian. People. And then you said he was on the show. So I thought he was an actor. Uh-huh. Okay. Hey, listen, I'm watching Maureen Stapleton take a bath. Can we, can we stop riffing for a minute? Now, Maureen Stapleton Ooh. was a very, very good friend of Marilyn Monroe. No shit. One year younger, she was impressed with Monroe's talent, I'm reading, and always thought it was a shame that Monroe was rarely allowed to play roles beyond the ditzy blonde. But the thing is, then she goes on to say, like, they were the same age and youth and stuff, but she, like, people saw her and they said to themselves, this broad better be able to act. <laughs> okay, so he's won a lot of Does that money. that guy steal money? And the joke here is that the yeah. tax man caught him. Oh, right. He was just waiting. Yeah. Um, fucking tax guy. He's always waiting there. See, look at that arcade. Yeah. I miss that. Go in, play a couple of games of Love Detector, or whatever the fuck they were playing. 
one time when my kids were little, I had to kill like three hours. I think we were waiting for tires or something. So I said, come on, kids, we'll go yeah. to the arcade. I used to love this when I was a kid. And they're like, great. So we go over there. And it's, of course, it's closed down. <laughs> I mean, yeah, right. No, yeah, what were you thinking? <laughs> right. So it's like the time of Pac-Man and Dino, I don't know, like home video right. PlayStation 2, it killed all that. Well, you know, during this, the beginning of, the, uh, I would say the 90s, and, and currently there's those uh, internet cafes where you play, like, I don't know, uh, internet game or some yeah. shit, some fighting game, some shooting game. And if you, you know, you could just spend all day there. So it still kind of exists, but this whole idea of building a cabinet and building it, having a monitor, cathode ray and, and all this right. guts just to play a shitty Frogger game. Right. You know, which I have all the compilations of video games from the eighties and I don't play more than two minutes of them. I know. I I have that too. I've got Pong and I've got uh, uh, Fantasy Quest or whatever that was, and I've got yeah right. Uh, um, Jazz Ball and uh, Tetris. You get bored right away. Yeah, absolutely. And then you're like, my God, they built a physical machine. Yes. So people could play the game, and it's not even worth. It. I don't know. But then you know, you say, this is great. I have an arcade game in my house. I'm going to play it to the end. And you're like, my God, I've spent like $40 worth of quarters to get to this fucking end. Because every time I hear, you know, game over, restart, right. that's another 25 cents. You get three lives. This game sucks. Yeah. And it's just bullet hell and you get hit. So who's he talking to now? Oh, Now it's another this, dad. This and Lester has shined his shoes and picked the winners. So he's now with the mob making a sucker bet on the trifecta, which will pay out a million dollars. Oh, the mob has a telephone suitcase, suitcase phone? I guess. Oh, you can tell he's a mob because he has his hat on the piano. And of course, the mob boss is like, take the bet. It's a sucker bet. <laughs> Forget you. Um, what a great view. Maureen Stapleton hosted the fourth season, the 19th episode of Saturday Night Live. And that was 1979, Charles Rocket cast. Really? Oh, so that's, wait, did you say sixth season? Uh, it's the fourth season, the 19th episode, 1979. So we, no, that, I think that was still Lauren Michaels thing. I don't think Charles was on that yet. Oh, it, that's right. That was the 1980s cast, right? The Harry Shearer, the first time Harry Shearer was on Saturday Night Live, but he was never credited, which is nuts. Yeah. I think he was in the thing. I don't think he was officially a not ready for primetime player back then, but he did a lot. He did Carl Sagan. He did like uh, Pink Lady and Jeff. He did a whole bit. Did he like do his own bit and wear the hat? Uh, no, Harry Shearer. Yeah, Harry Shearer's own bit. Um, wasn't He's Harry Shearer on Night Court? Oh, no, you're thinking of Harry Anderson. I'm t the guy who plays uh, Ned Flanders on The Simpsons. Oh, oh, oh. Um, I, I don't, I can't, yeah, and he's like older. Um, 
Right, he's always been older. Ball. He's been in show business since the day he was born. He he was a child actor on the Jack Benny show. Oh wow, the radio show. So he's been around for a while. Uh, but yeah, he he hated the that season, and then during the eighties, they did that whole like, we're gonna stack the cast with Martin Short and Christopher Guest and Harry mm-hmm. Shearer was on that season. Huh. Now Maureen State. I guess he's best known for an Academy stuff. Award. For Best Supporting Actress for Airport, 1970. Wait a minute, 19, no, 1970? Airport. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. Well, that was, you know, Oscar-worthy. Mm-hmm. Airport. Airport, 75? Uh, not so much. 77? Yeah. Nah. No. The Concord, Airport 79. He's the gangster? Are they going to, like, fucking attack Bat, uh, Batman and Robin soon? What the fuck's up with this guy? What he... Oh, That's what a Chicago character looks like. Yeah, it's a stereotype. Looks, they're, like, well... as a pinstripe suit. It's a bowler and a cane. Just out. You know, that that apartment that, that Gangster has with the view, with gentrification, it costs, like, you know, it's, like, 1500 a month. I was like, fuck you. <laughs> So he goes, congratulations, a million dollars. That's a million dollars in that bag? Yep, and they're going to follow him, of course. They want their money back. Yeah, right. He didn't. What's up with that fake mustache? So I guess I, I think Michael took all the facial hair. This was really pretty funny because he's like, huh, this jerk doesn't know we're following him. And then he goes, huh, these jerks don't know I'm being followed. Oh, yeah. He's going to the train station. Boy, oh, boy. Josh Powers keeps texting me during our podcast. Our good friend, Squashua. Is it, a, is it Bernie related? <laughs> no, it's like I have a birthday tomorrow. Where's a good delivery place in Union, New Jersey? What do I know? No, right now he's like, Lester, let me put this in your locker. And Lester's like, I don't want a million dollars in my locker. And he's like, Lester, they're after me. Just do it. And he finally agrees. Chicago people are crazy. Chicagoans. They're kludgy, as they like to say. They don't like to say that. What the hell are you talking about? I call it Chirac. I don't even like it, but I call it Chirac. And then this locker room is expensive. Uh, did he? Wasn't even a good trick. The gangster saw it. Yeah, this falling off mustache is a recurring gag throughout this whole segment. Well, like I said, Michael took all the facial hair before the movie started, and they're like, "Fuck, what am I gonna do? I need a mustache." <laughs> Here's some spirit gum. Yeah, right. It's fucking nasty. I can't even blow bubbles with that shit. So this director was a TV guy, and all of this is TV. This He did Dick Van Dyke Show, MASH, Walton's Kung Fu, Shaft, 1974, one episode, you know, Partridge Family, Gidget. Yeah. So I bet you somehow he was a related Wait. to different strokes, and his agent people said, right. we'll hire you. Get me. Did you mention Shaft was a TV show as well? I never knew that. Yeah, one episode. Uh, I think it was like 
they did a, epi- a season and they only did four of them on TV or something. It tanked. I, I would love to see it. You know, I love I love Shaft. That's my favorite movie, so I have to watch that. Now you can here we are in the L Look, Gary Coleman's scared to go in the outside world, so Frank put him in a suitcase, which is I don't know defines logic. This guy, of course, is going to steal the suitcase. No, get back here! Hey, there's a young black child in there. Hilarity will ensue. Oh no, Frank. Um, Last stop. Last stop, South Boston. It's a long way. (laughs) Oh oh boy, I can't wait to go into this filthy alleyway and open up my criminal thing. Help. Help. That glory hole is yelling help. No, they, oh, that's that, not a glory hole. You say that. Huh? Oh, wait, I thought I was taking Dana Plato. You know you know about the the different strokes curse. No. Oh yeah. Um so, they've all fallen into ruin. Yeah, I think the saddest oh look, it's Metal Gear Solid. Oh, it's the kid from the, it's the robot from the LMAO video. Yeah, right. Everything. The guy, <laughs> so he stole his clothes. Oh, so that's the reason why there's a young naked, uh, man, does not make sense. So he goes back to Union Station. And right. he's like, I am never leaving here again. I am never leaving. It's, it's a little funny how he says it. Now look what the mob's doing. Oh, no. That's less. You can do that, Daylight. You can make a locker. Yeah. No, but look at their hats. That's also. Right, right. Official business. So they think the cop is, like, going to bust him. And he goes, all right, I'll help you, folks. Are you guys Chicago gangsters? Worse, we're Chicago teamsters. <laughs> yeah. Oh, right away. Listen to the audio. All right. Never, ever, ever, ever. God, I love Gary Coleman. Yeah, I, I wanted to watch a movie where he was like, I, it, that it was a highlight. You know, like it's after Church Ball, I was like, yeah, that's kind of, you know, we should redeem it, put it in a good Coleman movie. I said, what's a good theatrically released Coleman movie? And then I said, well, there's only one, really, so oh. let's just watch that. So they've discovered the locker's missing, which means his house is missing, which means a million dollars is missing, and they're not going to take on the mob. Right. So they're like, oh, well. Yeah. What about all his pictures that were on his uh, inside locker wall? He's going to miss those. But I'm telling you, as a kid, I was like, it would be so cool to live in a locker without parents, you know, in a a train station. (laughs) So more reason on TV. For winning all the money. 
And Maureen says, oh, I didn't do it. It was Lester. He's a little kid who lives in Union Station, and he told me the numbers. And what a coincidence. Lester happens to be there. Is that Norman Fell? That is oh, no. God, that guy Mr. Roper, the mayor. See, that's what I'm saying. This movie is all TV. It's Mr. Roper. It's uh, Mackenzie Phillips' husband from One Day at a Time. It's um, Jill is all about TV. Uh, it's right. It's it's, uh, it's Beatrice Arthur's ex husband, and it's directed by a guy who only does TV. Weird. Maureen Stapleton, she's a coup. I mean, she's been in Johnny Dangerously in Cocoon. She won an Oscar for Reds. She was in Woody Allen's yeah, right. Warriors, I'm reading here. I don't remember that one. Which movie? Woody Allen's what? Interiors, 1978. Yeah, that's a famous one. That was when he was doing, he was serious. It was serious, Woody. I think it was in black and white. Do you recommend it? I'm you, low in my Netflix queue. Hey, can I, can I tell you something? When people are like Woody Allen bad, as much as they, they're great on stage, there's just so much entertainment in the world that if, you know, if you molested your, allegedly molested your daughter, I don't have to watch your product anymore. Do you know what I mean? There's other product out there. Yeah. So it's kind of tough. I made a decision about a couple of decades ago saying, you know, fuck that guy. Right. But, I had, but I would say interiors, it was, it was a notorious film because he wanted to be taken serious as an artist back then. And he made like an Ingmar Bergman-influenced movie about sisters called Interiors. And it's known for like close-ups of their faces, of their like Diane Keaton in black and white talking in profile, you know, to the camera or whatever. Uh-huh. And uh, I haven't, I don't think I've seen that one, to be honest with you. Me neither. The last one I saw, last one I saw and I saw in the theater was Celebrity. Last Woody Allen film, and then I just gave up. I just said, "Fuck it." I don't really. Uh, I don't need to be. Oh, I watched the Amazon. He did a terrible movie. It was his last film about Coney Island or something like that, like Big Wheel or Ferris Wheel. Uh huh. I can't. Get, I try. I try to watch his movies, and I just can't get into it anymore. So that's and it partially is because of writing. Yeah. Yeah. So one time, and it was a long time ago, I guess, because it was it was video. It, yeah, so it was video, I think, not even DVD. I went in the, you know, Blockbuster, and we've seen everything. So I go, oh, a Woody Allen film I missed. So I took it home, and it was a right. piece of shit. Then, like, eight months yeah. later, I'm in the Blockbuster, and I go, oh, a Woody Allen I missed. And I took it home, and I was like, wait a minute. <laughs> I did it again. God damn it. So what's happened here is the mayor heard Maureen Stapleton and said, a kid living in Union Square, uh, Union uh, Station, we can't have that. So he comes down to find Lester, and he does find Lester, but Lester for the third time is being chased by authorities. So he's like, I'm not letting them get me. So he goes up there. So Baby Ruth billboard. The mayor's running for re-election, of course, because it's lazy writing. And so his, his number one man there, you know, number one, is like, got to go up there before the 10 o'clock news. And he has a fear of heights or something. 
He's playing your blowhard politician. Right. Does his number one say, oh, Stanley. <laughs> You're right, right. <laughs> That's my Mrs. Roper. <laughs> oh, Stanley. Let's have next. No. Oh, Stanley. Big hug. I watched the Ropers, 1980. It was Jeffrey Tambor was the neighbor. It was terrible. Yeah. Well, it was like married with children. Like the the wife wanted to have sex and the husband didn't want it to. Right. So here goes the mayor up there all scared. But he's afraid of heights. This seems like a campaign. Oh, you just said all that. Yes. So yeah. remember he was he's never going up there again. At one time, the working title when they were writing it is a guy could get killed out there which is what he says all the time about leaving Union Station. Yeah, well, I, I definitely want to take my child to a kid's movie called A Guy Can Get Killed Out There. And this is product placement. I don't think the fucking station had a Butterfingers ad like this before shoot, right. before the shoot. Later we'll see Cheerios prominent. It's pretty bad. It's pretty. They're standing in front of a billboard. Yeah, it's pretty obvious. So the mayor's doing his talk, and Lester's just so smart. He's trying to make a deal, you know? Like, it's all about he can pick horses. Uh, You should listen. Oh, by the way, he's faking now. He's totally faking. He's going to fall. Listen, I know you don't like to listen long, so don't listen yet. I'll, when, when the when Jill and Michael come up, this uh, come up, we'll listen because he's gonna make it. Okay, sounds good. Baby Ruth and Butterfinger. Yeah. In your finger and better placement. That's back in the day when you'd be like, "I'll have two candy bars, confectioner." That'll be one dollar, please. One dollar in 1981. Fuck that. That's outrageous. I will give you 79 cents. I could buy a full bag of Doritos with one dollar. Do you remember that take a penny, leave a penny? How When that showed up? Yeah. Yeah. Right. Remember you used to get all your change, seven cents or whatever it was? You would just drop it in there. Or if you you'd take two pennies from there and, and give the guy a nickel. But when that was born is when, like, money started. I mean, that just shows you. No, but when we were growing up, $1 could buy, like, four comic books. I mean, it was a different time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I I do remember, I guess this was around 1981, where, like, you could get a giant bag of Doritos for, like, 99 cents. Yep. And Doritos, you know, to keep the prices low, they just offered less, which probably is for the better. But, you know, so instead of eight ounces, it would be like 6.5 ounces back. Yeah. Let's listen to their, you know, their uh, scheming. Look how he slides up to him. 
Yeah. Oh my god. That's remarkable. Deal. Deal. Yeah, you know. Audience applause. So Jill and my track will be right. Jill and Michael have told a lie. They've told the mayor that they're gonna get married and adopt Lester. And that'll play out at the end. But they're degenerate gamblers. They would not make good parents. Uh, I can't believe this guy won a million dollars. Jill has not. He won a million dollars. Okay. Well, I'm just, yeah. They're not degenerate I just find it weird. Yeah. Laurie, well, let's put it this way. He won a million dollars 25 minutes into this movie. Uh-huh. It gets stolen, and he doesn't, he doesn't spend the rest of the movie like, my fucking life sucks. No. Fuck you. I had a million dollars. Right. I would not shut up about that million dollars. <laughs> I wonder if that... Oh. But you see, he's, Wasn't got, there a match? he's got his cash cow right there in a towel and a robe right now. Right. Yeah. His bare feet on the table. Watch it, number one. Um, Gary Coleman appeared in a 1977 pilot for the revival of The Little Rascals as Stymie. Interesting. I did not know that. Wow, even back then, they'll never show The Little Rascals now, right? But back in the 70s, they were going to revive it. Yeah. That's I right. guess the... There was a movie version in the 90s. Yeah. No, the thing is, I want to thank the good, good heart, the good Samaritan of Bill Cosby for doing what was morally right and removing little rascals from our screens. Hey, you know, Carl, do you really believe that? I thought that was an urban legend that, that Bill Cosby got bought the rights to little rascals so he could get it off the air. I have no idea if that's true. I assumed it was true. You're letting me know it's a myth, maybe. I mean, come on, man. That is like, that myth was like, I mean, that's been around. That was in 30 Rock when uh, Tracy Jordan was scared that uh, Bill Murray, uh, Bill Cosby was after him and he was going to eliminate him like he did the Little Rascals. <laughs> <laughs> He's going to take me out, bro. Yeah, that's right. Uh, that's a really good Tracy uh, Morgan. Uh, another interesting Little Rascals fact. Well, you know, for, I saw the last silent Little Rascals short. Right. And uh, uh-huh. it, was, it was pretty remarkable. Simon had like this awful like ethnic stereotype uh, uh, dialogue in the uh, title cards of the silent movie. Like they couldn't wait. <laughs> but in the 90s, Penelope Shearer directed the Little Rascals and like the rich Little Rascal. His father was played by Donald Trump. Uh-huh. So the president's in uh, Little Rascals uh, 90s movie. I wouldn't say the Little Rascals are racist, but Donald Trump even shows up in one of them. <laughs> and Donald Trump showed up in Ghost Can't Do It, right? Yeah, one of the 
great movies we've watched. God, what a piece of shit that was. I yeah, but it was really good yeah, really. show. It was a good first show, and they loved the fact that Donald Trump was in it. It's a 1989 movie, and the end credit says, "You know, businessman Donald Trump," and then parentheses. Do you remember in the credits it says, "Yeah, that's actually Donald Trump." Right. That oh, look, there's Sears building, and that's right next to the Blockbuster Video building, which is right next to the uh, Borders building, Borders Book building. Well, all oh, I guess they all was. Um... The Art of the Deal and page six in New Yorker, you know, New York Post. Well, we know, you know, my father was a journalist, of course. I always wondered in New York City, I always wondered if he had it covered like Donald Trump at one point. Right, right. I mean, that would make a lot of sense. Probably the reason why he hates journalists. The president, he probably met my dad. He said, what's this? Yeah. Spiegelman, I don't have time for you today. Oh, just... Right. <laughs> but I want to beat the scoop of page six. Yeah. Is it true you're dating model Marla Maples? <laughs> no, I'm a family man. I would never cheat on my first wife. I could see your dad being like the Columbo of reporters for Donald Trump. Right. Oh, uh, just one last thing, uh, Mr. Trump. Art, I... Aren't you still married? <laughs> <laughs> so now I was reading about Trump. Yeah, go ahead. Now Sorry. talking to themselves about how much trouble they're going to be in when they get caught in the lie, and she's judging him again for being a skunk. So he's like, "Okay, you know what a skunk I am," and he admits that he knew that Gary Coleman had won the trifecta. Before ah. he invited him over to her and over to the house. And so it's another time in which he's chasing her, gets her. She's like, I don't like you. And she, she, he turns her around. And we start to like him at this point in the movie. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. Oh, boy. Now, why is there a laundry room again in the train station? It's, I must be missing something. It's a gym. Oh, it's the gym in the, in the train station. Right. Now, in 2003, the California recall election, um, Gary Coleman was a candidate for governor. I remember that. It was him, a porn star, an action star, uh, and... Uh, what was that guy's name? Great Davis was the mayor. The Great Davis, like, somehow, uh, I don't know, he got fucked over by, uh, if you ever watched The Smartest Guys in the Room, the uh, the Enron documentary? Yes, I have. They kind of show how, yeah, well, they inadvertently got, they got Great Davis out as mayor and, uh, as, excuse me, as governor of California, and that's the reason why they had those Special Olympic, uh, Olympics. I'm going to start again. The Special Elections in 2003. Uh-oh. Outside people, you don't want that. No, no, no. They're downstairs. They're in front of the pizza place, and Maud's ex-husband is going to come out and interrupt. See, he's trying to get his business together, and I'll tell you what that's about in a minute. By the way, this guy was insane elsewhere. I told you that, but he was also like on the Golden Girls, right. That Girl, Love American Style, Maud, Welcome Back, Carter, Kojak, yeah. you know. 
You got me a mod and come in. Welcome back, Carter and, oh. and fucking Kojak. I totally see him. Well, I was holding this back because I think this will get you. He had a lead role in The Good Guys with Bob Denver. Was that a movie? Uh, no, it was a TV show, and it was Denver's first series after Gilligan's Island. We're talking like 68 to 70. The Good Guys. Wow. It wasn't successful. Uh, I would love to check that out. I only know Bob. I know Bob Dever did the Far Out Space Nuts, but that must have been during the later in the seventies. Okay, then you'll like this about that guy. He was not an actor at all. He was a taxi cab driver, and one of his fares was this guy, Mike Mike Nichols, who was a director on Broadway, and he cast this Edelman yeah. in. The Bewildered Telephone Repairman and Neil Simon's Barefoot in the Park. That's hysterical. I just got a hunch. Mm-hmm. I'm sorry, Richard Young, Richard Dreyfus. You're not taking the role. I found a non-acting uh, <laughs> cab driver to take it. Fuck you, DeMay. Fuck you, Nickel. And of course, it, when the movie came around, he got to reprise his role. Yeah. Oh, wow. I don't think I ever saw that one. I've seen a bunch of those films, never but seen Barefoot in the Park with Jane Fonda and Robert Redford. No, I you know, I've seen uh, the Out of Towners, right? Neil Simon's Out of Town. That takes place in the park as well. I know what film you're talking about. I just never saw it. Okay, so right now the business is Gary Coleman knows that everybody up there wants has their crappy luggage, and there's never enough carts. And they cost a lot of money, those carts. So therefore, he wants to do a deal in which they go around, no carts, just offering to carry people's luggage for a certain amount. And he will dispatch them, and he gets a cut. Interesting. Can we steal the luggage? No, I think you missed the idea of this. All right. Now, the one in stripes... Hold on, I'll yeah. show you. We met him at he, he's like a, the arcade, and he's a bad guy. There he is in orange and blue stripes. Oh, weird stripes, too. Help yeah. you with your luggage? Montage of funny stealing the luggage stuff. It doesn't make sense. doesn't make sense. They just take the luggage. It, yeah, it doesn't make sense. Ooh, that was a TV wipe. Yep, this is so TV. Now, right now, they're inside a special train that they the mayor had made for Gary Coleman because of, he's going to help him get money for the city. So Coleman's no longer sleeping in a locker. He has a, an abandoned train in the station. Right, he has an abandoned train nice. that they've turned into an apartment. But that's like a classy club car, right? I mean, that's like it was sort of like a wild west. They gave it a makeover. Now, I got to I think that was the devil, right? Yeah. You saw him in The Graduate. Remember that? I've seen The Graduate. He was like... I don't remember Gary Coleman. No, it was Norman Fell, uh, Mr. Roper. Oh, God, I don't remember Mr. Roper. And that was Sir... Uh, yeah, no, I don't remember that. Okay, do you remember that Dustin Hoffman had a girl in his room? Dustin Hoffman fell in love with the neighbor, right? So he went to her college and got a room. 
And the guy was like, you're not a college student? He goes, no. Remember, he's all suspicious. Then she screams in her yeah. in his room and he comes to investigate. Okay. Again, I want to write down what of course he's picking. <laughs> Did, did you see him in Mad Mad World, uh, Mr. Roper? Yeah, I do remember that. He he was funny in that movie. He just kept giving looks to all the good people running around. <laughs> he thought he was Don not. He was also like, you know, Ocean's Eleven, he was one of the Eleven. Yep. He, uh, the original one was Sinatra. What he did was they couldn't like... Yeah, so he... he the doorknobs in the casino, they put like powder on it uh-huh. and the Norman Fell showed up and he was he used like an ultra blue array light or whatever those and was able to, I don't know, it was something screwy about the doorknobs. That's how they the were able to commit the crime. The fingerprints. Yeah. Remind me, you know, to get better security at my casino because I would probably, you know, lose a lot of money off of that. Okay. Do you remember that cool ass movie Bullet? Yeah, well, absolutely. He was, in, was that. in that, right? Yeah. Yeah. That's that movie was like what action movies used to be. Like everything oh, I was realistic. Right. Well, the big thing was that he had the witness in his apartment, Bullet. Yes. And Simon, Simon Oakland, the mayor, and his, the mayor's number one was Norman Fell. And they would go to like Grace Cathedral and be like, We know you had the witness there, Bullet. <laughs> That's right. There's this yeah. scene in Bullet where he's following the guy. You know, that San Francisco. You know it, right? Get the fuck out of here, really? Well, do you it's Chicago? famous car chase? It's all San Francisco. Yeah, no, of course. Yeah, yeah. And if you go to YouTube, people will map out the locations. I mean, it's one of those movies where they go to a different town at one point and they come back to the city. But it's all edited great. Yeah, yeah. They, they made rules saying, listen, if you're going to shoot a movie in our city, how about not drive cars down the staircase in our parks? Because it's a bitch to fix, you know? Okay, I got it. Now bullet. Now look, here's his yeah. first day of That's business. He's got 300 bucks. And this bad guy comes in and says, you want to do this the hard way or the easy way? I just fucking takes the money. Wow. That's on the wrong track. <laughs> Uh-oh. They give um, this kid everything. I'm just giving up kids. I just have to say, there's only one other movie I knew Mr. Roper was in, and that's Catch-22. But Yeah, I remember that. I never saw it, but it says he appeared alongside Ronald Reagan in Reagan's last film, The Killers. That was a TV. That's you know I really want to see that one because it was a Ernest Hemingway movie, uh, and uh, it w- it was based on a story I guess. And they made a TV version. I think it was Don Siegel, the guy who directed Dirty Harry. It was like some famous director. And yeah, it was like Ronald Reagan against type. He was a bad guy gangster. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, there's here's something interesting. He had a cameo on, you remember Ellen had a sitcom in the 90s. Look at the Cheerios. You see the product placement? Yeah, right. So on Ellen's sitcom in 1997, he appeared as Mr. Roper. He was like the landlord. 
Oh, that's strange. Well, that is... well, I know, like, uh, Ellen, the TV show, like, it kind of broke the fourth wall, you know, after she admitted she was gay uh, on the show. They had, like, one more season, and then they did a, a show about uh, sitcoms having trouble. Like, they pretended they were I Love Lucy, and they couldn't say the word pregnant. It was a really strange episode. Some of Jeremy Piven's finest work, though. Uh-huh. Who we thought was yeah. all about Entourage, and we found out he had an entire career before Entourage. Oh, yeah, I saw him on Larry Sanders. We saw him in uh, Dr. Jekyll and Miss Hyde, which was yes, now on a YouTube channel. Which yeah. was really good. For your show, for your yeah, show. No. Well, I, you know, uh, the way we set up the show is a lot... I don't really watch these movies, but Carl researches and watches them, like, four or five times. And you must have watched Piv in that movie for, like, six times, right? Yeah. I mean, you must have seen... How many times have you seen this movie? This is only my third time. This was a particularly busy week for work, so I watched this two other right. times. And then about 45 minutes before our show, I put it on again... And then we were waiting for Paul to show up. So I had a little extra time. Okay, so all these people won their trifectas and they really made a lot of money. So they're paying him his cut, kind of. And they're inspired that he's helping the city with gambling. So they're going to give his a portion of their money to donate to the city. Chicago saved the night they saved Chicago. No, wait, the night Chicago burned, right? Oh, God, the song's gone terrible. Who died? Oh, that's even worse. It was no survivors. <laughs> how, did I, how did I take the song, The Night Chicago Died, and be like, The Night Chicago Won? It's terrible. <laughs> uh, no, it's like, My kind of town, Chicago is. My kind. And Chicago right. has plenty of praise songs. Yeah, yeah, I guess you're right. Chicken in the car. And then you got the band. Oh. Do you remember Victoria Jackson Saturday Night Live? I'm a fan of Victoria Jackson. I understand her politics are not the greatest and her views on uh in, well this on, was years ago, so she didn't wasn't a mother yet. But I met her in I didn't really meet her. I saw her and was right next really? to her in Chicago. She's one of my favorites from Saturday Night Live cast members. I thought she was really good. She's as weird as Annie Kaufman. I mean, she her her Johnny Carson set was she was standing on her head and she you know, it's just you know, it's good stuff. But again, her politics are really kinda she has these views on like, you know, if you're if uh the parents of a child is gay are gay couple, you can't let your kids play with them and it's like well, they're just fucking kids, you know. That has nothing to do with your politics. Mhm. But what have you. I have a fan page I, I created on Tumblr years ago the uh, uh, for Victoria Jackson. An anti-fan page? No, a pro-fan, just the stuff I like. I mean, I think she's a great performer. She's funny. Mm. And she's weird. And weird in a good way, you know, like Andy Kaufman way. And mm. she outpaces a lot of the people on SNL for that fact. But, yeah, she went political and it's just, you know, I'm just not, I just don't. I, I disagree with her on it. So, you know, respectfully disagree, but definitely disagree. Okay. You what saw her in Chicago. Is that Michael has gotten uh, the the winner of horse races for like uh, New York, Miami, LA, and he's doing a little tour 
And he's just like putting down on the trifecta and hitting every time. What a weird, you're right. What a weird uh, superpower. And it's inexplicable. It's inexplicable. No, he looks at a newspaper and sees a list and and then the name glows and he says, that one, the glowing name. Uh, okay, so after Schwarzenegger declared his count- candidacy, Coleman was like, fine, I'll vote for Schwarzenegger. And Coleman sort of withdrew, but it's too late. He was on the ballot, and he got eighth out of 135 candidates. Wow. Wasn't the story that, like some rich startup guy was the one who financed the campaign? I don't know. My my problem is that with Gary Coleman is that he became the butt of a lot of jokes, and you know he went along with it. So with Postal, the the video game, uh, he plays himself, Gary yeah, he Coleman plays himself. Uh, yeah. So in Postal oh. Two in two thousand three, he plays himself, and he was in nineteen ninety seven. He was in a video game called The Curse of Monkey Island. And he doesn't play himself. Right, which is a favorite fun parts game. Uh-huh. He, uh, was he an American? Like, there was a, a David Zucker movie where Chris Farley's uh, brother played, like, a Michael Moore guy. And it was, like, a Christmas Carol, but American it was, like, an American Carol. Carol. Yeah, 2008 American Carol. I think Coleman was in that, too. Yep. He was. And then he was in Midgets versus Mascots in 2009, and sort of like what you're saying, he's getting all this heat. He was not a midget at all. He had um, a no. disorder uh, that prevented him from growing older. I mean, he's only 12 here, okay? But he, right. as a 12-year-old, he shouldn't look like an 8-year-old. But it was called um, Punk-Ass Dysmorphia.
hear me? Because I don't talk to too many folks, but you listen. That I married a widow with a grown daughter. Then my father married my wife's daughter. That made my wife the mother-in-law of her father-in-law. My father became my stepson. Then my stepmother, the daughter of my wife, had a son. He became my brother. He was my father's son, but he was also my wife's stepson. Therefore, their grandson. And that made me the grandfather of my stepbrother. Then my wife had a son. So my mother-in-law, the stepsister of my son, is also my grandmother. Because his stepsister is his wife. I'm the brother of my son, who is also the son of my step-grandmother. I am my mother's brother-in-law. My wife is her own child's aunt. My son is my father's nephew, and I'm my own grandfather. Flat black plastic. Mutiny Radio. We're going to spotlight Black History Month.
the sound of my voice this evening. I can heal you tonight. You wanna be healed? Put one hand on your radio. Put one hand on what you want healed. Yo, yo, lady, yo, lady, reach over. Put one hand on the radio. Put one hand on old tired heart and kept humming and singing. Wait in the water. Wait in the water, children.
never cease, just to say the least. I start mobbing motherfuckers like a savage beast. I'm taking my turn to make the mic burn. And when I'm teaching class, there's a lesson to be learned. Now I battle bosses and tribes all alike. Never battle a lot of hate, they always battle for spite. Coach jealous of me, the West Side man. The leader of the brothers and killer of the clan. Well, I don't give a shit, cause my rhyme is legit. Cold put you in the yard and tie you up with my pit. Cause when she starts to fight, that's when I will ignite. The views of the body take it to new heights. I can hide up myself, that's like a part of the elite. Swab and dominate because the rhyme is so sweet. Bitcoin and confusion, magician of illusion. You got a little problem, here's a solution. No one never quits and a quitter never wins. So why you just gambling with dubs and fins? Remember what I say, it sticks like crazy glue. I'm telling you now, I'm not afraid of you. Don't come in my face, I tell your heart apart. And like I told you before, what? I get locked after long. Long. Tom Smith, cause every time you hear my song, your hands clap, the chosen one, putting LA on the map, with no objection, I plead my case, tone low, full capacity, leaving out of space, the ace contender, will never surrender, when I rock a show, you always remember, remember the one and only, superior to many, me losing a battle, no, I can't remember any, although in the days, I may have lost one, who in the hell am I kidding, I ain't been out done, cause I'm the best, and I live out what, and if you want a dope song, I'll play it. It don't take much to make a crowd lie Just some boozy, some George, and a little bit of slot I slip on stage and clear my hair, my next start Hmm, just a knock up dead, no OZ My voice from the start, but you never know Why? Cause I get loaded after dark, dark Thank you. 
That was Kingston Wall, band from Finland. Last track we heard was from their album Two, which they put out in 1993. That was called Istvan. Before that, we heard Two of a Kind. And then, oh, the most recent one was Could It Be So? Before that was Istvan. And then the first was Two of a Kind. Three from Kingston Wall. This next song is from Jethro Tull. From one of their classic trio of medieval prog songs that they put out in the late 70s. This is just a moment here while I this is called Dunringill. And the stormwatch brews a concert of kings as the white sea snaps at the heels of a soft prayer. Clear light on a slick palm as a misdeal of the day. Slip the night from a shaved neck. Make a marked card play. We call twine at ours down from a heaven home. I love the highest bidder for the good Lord's throne. In the wee hours of me. Whisper in the way out. 